50 points in the first half, Tennessee. Looks final four bound. Second half, you felt much worse watching it. But at the same time, you get to the end of it, and in a game that you were up 23 points at halftime, you only lose the second half by three points. You still end up with a 20-point victory, uh, an easy cover, and you end up with 27 points from Dalton Connect as he was back to kind of being the closer down the stretch when the game did get close. LSU made a run, got it down to eight points, and by my calculations, over the next like two minutes, Dalton Connect answered with seven points of his own to put the game to bed and, you know, hold off LSU's surge. <clears throat> Still get back to, like I said, a 12-point swing the last four minutes to go from up eight to up 20. Bob, your takeaway was what? Yeah, I, I'd seen your post on, on X about <laughs> – it was very – Short and sweet. At first, you said, you know, game update. We're going to the final four, something like that. Right? Halftime thoughts, Bob. Yeah, halftime it thoughts. wasn't that long of a of a tweet. You could have memorized that. Halftime thoughts, final four bound. And then at the end of the game, or at least halfway through the second half, I was about to say, updated thoughts. Maybe out in the second round. <laughs> I was thinking there was parts of the game where it felt like a first four game. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, it got weird, but uh, overall, I mean, I don't. Th- as far as I felt, even when they cut it to eight, I, I was like, "We're not going to lose this game." I wasn't very, I was never concerned, um, but looked very, very strong in many parts of the game. I also felt, like you said, they they came back late and really slammed the door shut. Um, it was a weird game statistically too. I mean, LSU out rebounded Tennessee, uh, dominated considerably. On the glass. So yeah, particularly on the offensive glass. Um, 20 to 10 edge for LSU and second chance points. And LSU was minus uh, Jalen Cook, who's their leading scorer. I don't know what the story was. I didn't hear on TV in the first half because I wasn't watching on TV what happened, why he was he was in street clothes. Honestly, it kind of made it sound like they were just like being precautious and, 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 and resting him because just, they kind of knew they weren't going to win the game. It's, yeah. It's almost how it came across at the beginning to me yeah. when I was listening to it. Yeah, so <clears> – <throat> but to your point – uh, the offense still showed up. Uh, I still think back to that game a week ago, a little over a week ago on Tuesday, where it was maddening watching that offense at that point. South Carolina had something to do with that, but now we've seen the offense for Tennessee really get get right overall. Again, they had a, they had a, a pocket of time last night where they didn't score, but uh, yeah, still finished with 88 points. I, I was really struck by Connect's complete line. I mean... Everybody was saying it was a quiet 27 points, but he did a lot of other things. Probably the best line I've seen for him the whole season, if you look across the board. Seven boards, six assists, three blocks, two steals. It was a good night, I thought. Definitely his most do-it-all game. Yeah. But then, you know, whenever you did need to close the door, when it was only an eight-point game, he goes down, gets an and one, hits a couple – hits a jumper, hits a couple free throws, and, yeah, slams the door shut – I'm interested in what Coach Polinski will actually admit and say, but like to me, watching it, I couldn't help but think it's the perfect game as far as they're concerned, where you come out, you flex your muscle, you have your confidence, you struggle, you face a little adversity, so it gives the coaches something to like actually yell at them about the next couple of games, not let them feel too high going into Texas A&M, yet you still 
perform in the clutch. I use clutch loosely, but eight-point game, four minutes left, and it at least was enough to make people get a little nervous. It seemed like that, Sam. It seemed a little bit like, I don't want to call it like Rupp Arena, but like whenever the team was kind of coasting to the finish line and LSU pushed it to eight, it was almost like the fans were pleading. All right, guys, come on. Clap, clap, clap. Let's get loud. Let's try to remind these guys that, like, hey, the game's not over. Come on, boys. And then, yeah, like, Santi got a, a layup plus a foul. And then, yeah, Connect kind of took over. It seemed like the, the crowd tried to wield them to, like, the finish line. Please, just finish. Yeah, I mean, it was like a – it did kind of feel like that. The people around me were like, hey, you know, like, this game's not over. I mean, it's only a 10-point point lead, and there's still time on the clock. I think you kind of saw Barnes like switch to a younger lineup there for like two possessions when it was seemingly out of hand, and then they kind of crept back into it, and he was like, all right, let's put the starters back in and let's close the door on this. Yeah, I was waiting for him to kind of call off the dogs and maybe he caught him off a little too early in terms of, of letting LSU make that run. And I'm not sure he would say he regrets it or anything trying to get some guys some minutes to see how they would respond, but they failed the test, a lot of them, the younger guys that came in. So I wonder if Polinski feels the same way in terms of that being kind of the perfect coaching opportunity to say, hey, guys, first half, that's what we need to do if we're going to win a championship. Second half, you let your foot off the gas. That's what's going to get you beat in the tournament. That's what's going to get you beat in these big games. You can't take your eye off the prize ever. Stay focused, blah, blah, blah. But good job closing. That's something to build on. Focus. We got a big game Saturday. Because if Tennessee came out and just blew out LSU by 30-something points and dominated wire to wire, you risk them becoming a little too confident and maybe feeling themselves a little too much. Instead, you get to say, hey, here's what you did wrong. And film session, you get to look and say, hey, guys, this rotation, not good enough, not up to the Tennessee standard. Cam Carr, for the love of God, dribbled the ball a couple times. <laughs> Cam Cam would have Cam would have lit up that halftime game. Yeah, with the yeah. I'm sure he was probably he might have seen a little of that. Going, man, I wish I was out there, I'd dominate. Um, and I don't think you have taken it easy either. It feels like you would have had a lot of the Cardell Jones playing kid in hospital vibes in terms of I'm out there to get my buckets. <laughs> What was He's the not guy? afraid scored, to shoot. Cardell Jones was like, actually, I scored 98, not yeah. 91 points. <laughs> uh, uh, Triple J got off to a nice start, and then he got two fouls. That kind of hurt his momentum, but felt like he was carrying over from uh, Saturday night. Hit his first two shots. Actually, didn't miss a shot throughout the game. He was three for three. I thought that you, I mean, obviously you didn't play a strong second half, but I think the way that the game was officiated in the second half like broke up the flow of a lot of that. I thought the flow yeah. was beautiful in the first half, and then you kind of got into that second half, and you just never really got, I think our offense never got comfortable. That's the one thing I could sense feeling, uh, or I could feel it live. John, yeah. I don't know if you could feel it on TV. In the first half, the pace of the offense, even in the half court, was like, it was moving, man. You could it, there was definite energy on the court from the players, so that was that was really good to see. Yeah, no, there was a carryover. Everybody touching the ball. Everyone locked in. Zakai came out with another great start. Josiah, great start. But yeah, I'm about tired of you guys flexing on me too. By the way, about the being in this arena and me being at home watching on TV. <laughs> 
multiple references you guys have made to well i don't know how it looked on tv but i was there i don't know how i feel about this i was enjoying my coke zero yeah. how did yours taste <laughs> i ate some popcorn at home yeah my popcorn at home was better than the popcorn they sell oh, inside sure. the arena so i had that going yeah mine was a i had some last time it was a salt bomb man it was rough yeah yeah they, they don't do a good job with the popcorn i man. smelled some burnt popcorn they don't do a good job here. there yeah they can't charge I feel like movie. it's really hard to mess up popcorn. I know they charge movie theater prices, and it's not movie theater quality. It's it's and it's there's always a line for it well, too. People love popcorn. Yeah, I love popcorn. I can't avoid it. Every time I go, I'm like, I'm gonna get some popcorn, even though I know it's gonna be underwhelming <laughs> and it's not gonna be good. Is that your go-to sporting event snack? <clears throat> I can't say my go-to sporting event snack, but I do love popcorn. And I guess if you if you combine my entire life experience, like in because, I mean, I used to go a lot and watch, like, my stepsister coach basketball. She was a high school basketball coach. And I did always have to have uh, a piece of pizza and some popcorn there to watch, at least the popcorn. So, yeah, I guess so, maybe. But, no, like, at the Titans games and stuff, I don't get popcorn. I go to a Hawks game, I don't get popcorn. But Tennessee, yeah. Because typically the lines are too long to get anything else. I know. Trying to get a pizza or something. That's why I got popcorn last night. Yeah. Actually, for once, the line, it's usually horrible, but it wasn't bad. There was, like, six people or something like that. Yeah. So, so I guess I'll say yes, because I don't. Have, I don't. Otherwise, I don't have a snack. Pizza. I like getting pizza too, but that's more of a, I guess a food versus a snack or a meal versus a snack. But yeah, that popcorn's gross. You talked about Josiah and his performance. Were you frustrated by Santiago Vescovi's performance, where he followed up a pretty solid game against Kentucky? By coming out and just being like, ah, I'm good. I'm not going to shoot tonight. Yeah, now now it's all moved to uh, forget Josiah. He's fixed. And now it's uh, the problem is Santee. No, it was he passed on a lot of shots last night, I felt. I mean, not dozens, but, I mean, he, he had some looks. There was one time I, I found myself, it was in the first half, I was like, shoot it. Yeah. I mean, he, he, had, a, he had space. He had a good look. He can hit the three. I don't know, man. It was That was a weird turn of events you know Ganey kind of patched the hole there you know what I mean he made up for that gap but yeah Ganey has Ganey has gotten back to I don't want to say early season form but Ganey last night was as good as he's been all year as far as I'm concerned and you know he followed up a maybe not a great shooting night against Kentucky but I thought he played a great game against Kentucky he's kind of stringing some together and is back to being a, a guy that you feel Good about. Yeah, and active on defense, too. Had three yep. steals. And, I mean, he's he's contributed in more ways than the shot right now, too, which is nice to see. But, but yeah, back to back to Santee for a second. Um, he ended up with one of three, 0 for 1 from three, 0 for 1 from the free throw line, two points. Yeah. But I feel like it was like the 10-minute mark of the second half before he finally shot, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. Yeah, it was – I don't know. It goes back to what you said, John, earlier in the week. We need, between him and Josiah, we only got 10 points from them last night. We need a little more than that, you know, 15, 16 minimum. Um, I guess someone like LSU, you're okay, obviously, yeah. without it. But, yeah, uh, Saturday night at Texas A&M, a quad one opportunity, you're going to need more from Vescovy. And it just it's frustrating when it looks like he doesn't even want to be out there, at least on offense. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, 
I understand you're you're a glue guy. I understand your your role in this team is different than years past. Like you don't have to be the the primary creator or scorer and or scorer because at times you had to do both here at Tennessee. You get to kind of just be the the added bonus guy. And I'm going to keep the ball moving, but when things were going so well, like at least get a couple shots up, man. At least hit your pump fake, sidestep three, do something. Only 21 minutes for him last night too, so. Uh, I think Barnes might have been also displeased with his lack of aggression. Especially on a night when you were shooting the three so well as a team, I thought it was just strange that he wasn't shooting the ball. Yeah, I mean, like, every, everybody was making it. So maybe you could say, hey, everybody's making it. I don't need to shoot. My teammates are making it. I'm just going to not shoot. But whenever you just aren't even looking like you're trying to score, people are going to be upset with that. People are going to be upset with that. He did have a big lay up and get fouled, miss a free throw whenever it did get to an eight-point game. Or I think maybe that was a 10-point game at that point, and he, yeah. tried, he pushed it to 12 and, and missed a free throw to make it 13. But we, we need to have a sit-down, I think. Like, you know, a lot of times you talk about veteran leadership and the old guys trying to, you know, get the young guys to, to focus or to play, blah, blah, blah. We need to have a sit-down the other way. We need we need our freshman Cam Carr to sit down with Vescovy <laughs> and be like, look, when you're in <laughs> – you got to shoot. You, you got to get your shot up. That ball comes to you. You got to try to score. We need the young guy to sit down and have a talk with him because in three minutes, Cam Carr got his three shots up. I told you, Vescovy played 21 and shot three times. Josiah, same way, three shots. Perfect, three for three. Two for two from three. But, hey, you, you got to have a little bit more of an aggressive mentality. Here's what I do when I come in. I'm going to maybe take one dribble and I'm firing. Did you see the Tennessee bench when when Cam Carr would shoot? They would all they were all like maybe they're like god please hit so you'll stop shooting. <laughs> I don't know. But they were they were super uh on the edge of their seat. They were always getting up on attempted threes, but I don't know. It felt like they were they were willing Cam Carr to do something. <laughs> he had two stints and only two minutes, but again, three shots. It's funny when he comes in. Like you like the aggression as a fan, but at the same time, yeah, you need to you need to hit one of those. <laughs> I, I don't know if he can shoot in practice. I, I don't know. I mean, I know for the season he's only shooting sixteen percent from three. You know, obviously in limited attempts, minutes wise. He. Um, it, he he threw uh, he got in the game and I was like okay great and he he got his hands on the ball and threw an outlet pass to Santi that almost went into the stands too I mean he was definitely jacked up. Um, when he got into the game, there were these guys sitting behind us that were like they were betting on minus nineteen and a half for Tennessee I think and it was kind of at the stretch where they were starting to come back and he was like come on Cam Carr shoot the ball like I, I need some points you need somebody you need somebody that's going to be willing to get out there and get it so like it is it is funny that you have one. You have one guy coming off – well, that's not true. You have two guys coming off the bench who love getting shots up. You ain't going to have to convince Ganey or or Carr to get their shots up. Right. Those, those guys are out there to get buckets, <laughs> and I think Connect is very uh, willing to get his shots up. The rest of the team sometimes a little measured in their approach. But we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll hit the phone lines, and we will continue the conversation. 865-546-8200 if you want to hop on with us. I know Russ didn't do a voluntary reaction last night, so you might have some takes you want to get off your chest. 865-546-8200. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
Go and download the brand new Fan Run Radio app. Take Fan Run Radio with you wherever you may go. Just go to your app store if you're an iTunes, Apple person. Look for Fan Run Radio. Download it. You can access all your podcasts there. The shows. I think we got, we're working on a couple other additions to it, I think. I don't exactly sure if it's a, a completed app just yet, but we are working on it and it's new. We're working on a couple bugs and, and trying to get it up to pristine, optimal running. But go ahead and download it. If you're an Android user, keep an eye on it. We're probably about a week and a half away from that. We had to get a certain amount of people to test it and get it approved before then. But it is in your iTunes app store right now, the Fan Run Radio app. And check out the brand new website, fanrunradio.com. So just to jump back to the Tennessee game for a second, and it may be a little uh, discriminatory, John, because this is going to be a – Oh, here you, we go you, again. You, you should have been, <laughs> been there. Moment, here we go but, uh, again. So, you know, Tennessee shooting well in the first half. This was another thing that added to the good vibes. You know, if they hit five three-pointers in the first half, you get free Chick-fil-A nuggies, as Andy oh. Reid calls them. And uh, and uh, that was another thing that felt great because they, well, you know, uh, you know, being serious, they shot about 50% from three-point range. They, they Their game was on beyond the arc for sure. But that was a nice little bonus. They had they hit seven like before the halfway mark of the first half. It was great. I was like, I'm loading that app, getting it going, getting some of those nuggies. I saw a lot of people in front of me pulling out the Chick Fil A app like as soon yeah. as we hit eight threes. Should have been there, man. Should have been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ate a salad for dinner last night. <laughs> no nuggies for me. No nuggies for me. God, I love that spot. They could play that multiple times in the Super Bowl. They won't, but I'd love to watch that spot time and again. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I would imagine that uh, they, the Chiefs haven't gotten together to do any new commercials yeah. in, to, in, in preparation for the Super Bowl, but I would have liked a couple new ones. Andy Reid eating new things, but <laughs> they are probably uh, locked into their task at hand. Did you make anything of what – Roberto said about Tennessee's physicality because I don't think you can have it both ways. Yeah, I don't think you can complain about Tennessee's quote-unquote lack of physicality if at any point over the last four years you've complained about the offense. Because I don't think you can really muck it up and be a physical team and also be you know super elite on offense and run a crisp and uh, system and get shots. And I also don't feel like Tennessee is lacking physicality. I mean, you might say they are the third or fourth most physical team in the conference, and that's okay. But yeah, you know they're not number one. But no, no, I'm not. I'm not potting for the days of Oroche trolling the sidelines or patrolling the paint. I agree with that. I think that what Auburn did last night probably was a, a tactic, and you know, it, Alabama plays the way Alabama does, and that's that's one way you can beat them. Um, I just can't picture Bruce kind of going that route all the time and and I yeah I I'd still take our our chances against Auburn they're very very good um I I'd still I, I don't worry about it too much again what I I would say if I'm concerned about anything is just having some sort of impactful reserve if we could get more of what we saw from Tobe on Saturday night on a consistent basis then I don't have too much concern 
What I will say about last night's Auburn-Alabama game is, A, thank you, Auburn, for holding serve. Yes, sir. For, for winning at home. That was important for Tennessee's chances. But also, I'm not impressed when you punk Alabama. Alabama's kind of soft. Yeah. Alabama's kind of soft. Like, Tennessee punked Alabama. Beat them by 20 at home. I don't know if you remember Meshack, you know, making it to where Sears couldn't even dribble at portions of the game. Like, Tennessee hounded them, too. So, I'm not going to overreact to Auburn out-physicaling Alabama because I think Alabama's a soft basketball team. I agree with that. Yeah, it just wasn't – again, to me, it felt like a departure for a, for a Bruce Pearl team. But you're right. Alabama, I guess their big is uh, Grant Nelson, and we were texting about that last night. Um He's he's just a tall, skinny guy. He can, you know, he's got some game, of course, but he, you know, you can definitely rough him up. So yeah, I agree with you, John. He'll fill out. I mean, he's a solid player, but yeah, like he's not one that you're going to be afraid of right. in the post. You're not. You're not. He's not going to set a tone defensively or with any aggression offensively. Tennessee, on the back of their last two offensive performances, has skyrocketed. Up to number 14 in terms of offensive efficiency. That's good enough to win a championship. Especially when you combine it with the number five defense in the country right now. You know, the defense has slipped a little bit, but I think that's just what, you know, it's bound to happen when your offense is clicking as well as it is. And when you're, you know, you've gone up against the Kentucky team that, for as much as we make fun of them, still really good on offense. Yeah, I was surprised to see him slip that much on defensive efficiency just from, the, I guess, that Kentucky game. That many points scored changes things. But, um, yeah, I I still feel very, very good about this team, um, even based on what I saw with Auburn and Alabama last night. Um, I, I, You did mention something that is, is a factor when talking about South Carolina. Their schedule is – Pretty damn soft. Actually, Auburn's last three or four games, if you look at those, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty light compared to Tennessee's last three or four. Um, the good news for that is Tennessee gets Auburn at home. Yep. You know it's a it's a nice little scheduling. I don't want to say quirk or layup, but it's a nice break. It's a nice break for Tennessee to not have to go to Auburn this year, and maybe you're. Biggest or second biggest threats, you only get them at home. I will say, though, like looking looking at the odds right now, Auburn has moved into being the favorite to win the SEC. They're almost at I mean, close enough to even money. They're plus 130. Last night coming into the game, Alabama was favored. Tennessee was 2-1, to one, plus 200. They are now plus 165. Alabama has gone down to plus 340. I got to say, kind of think there's some value on Alabama at plus 340. You talk about Auburn's schedule. I think I think Alabama very well may go 16 and 2 in the SEC. If you told me they won out, I wouldn't be surprised at all. They play at LSU, home against A&M in Florida, at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, home for Tennessee, at Florida, Arkansas. It's a pretty easy schedule. Yeah. 
I was about to pull the trigger last night on Tennessee plus 200 to win the SEC. But then I actually looked at Alabama's schedule, and I was like, man, like, that that's going to be tough to overcome. Because I was like, you know what, the, the odds are going to change here. This is your last chance to get in good on Tennessee because they're going to beat LSU and Alabama's going to lose, and this is all going to flip. And it did to an extent, but to me, Alabama's still in pretty good shape. Like, Bob, when you look at that schedule, if I set the over-under at one-and-a-half losses the rest of the year in, the, in, in regular season play – you're taking the over or under for Alabama. For Alabama? Yeah. No, I'd take the under. I Sam, guess. are you taking the over or under? Yeah, I would take the under, I think, on this one, too. Sorry, Bob, didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I was just going to say, I, I think out of those four teams we keep referring to, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina, and we think Tennessee's remainder of schedule, mainly because of this clump of six, one of those games was last night, are relatively simple. I still think the remaining schedule is the hardest of the four. Yeah, the the overall like win percentage didn't rank it that way, but I think you might be right when you look at the four they have all in a row. Yeah, South Carolina has to go to Auburn. They have to go to A and M. They have to go to Mississippi State and play home against Tennessee. So, like, I do think South Carolina is going to fade a little bit. I told you about Alabama's schedule, uh, and you know, basically, if they win at Kentucky. They're going to be in good shape. Now, if they lose that Kentucky game, all of a sudden their game at home March 2nd against Tennessee becomes, you know, a do-or-die game for them when it comes to winning the conference. But, you know, then, then Auburn, they're scheduled down the stretch. Real quickly, um, actually, we're out of time. Stay tuned for the top of hour two, as I tell you, Auburn's schedule. They have a home game against Kentucky, a road game at Tennessee, Really, that's it for them, too. So, home, I mean, home game against South Carolina. Home so. game against South Carolina. Yeah, I mentioned that. So, like, a couple tests. Hour one of the books. We'll kick off an hour two of some things you might have missed from yesterday. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. <laughs> hour number two. Kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Oh, man, I was down in some White Claw at home last night on my couch celebrating that Dalton Connect performance celebrating Tennessee's first half and drowning away the sorrow of watching Alabama and Auburn combine for 85 free throws in their game last night 61 fouls in that game 61 fouls and 85 free throws good job SEC drink white claw hard seltzer to get over your anger at the officiating or to strengthen it responsibly (laughs) Sam what do we miss from yesterday thanks John we got some big news uh, big, news. big news out of college football. Nick Saban is officially joining College Game Day. Uh, he's joining as an analyst. Is also going to be contributing to some of the uh, draft coverage that ESPN is doing. And I think he's also going to be going on to SEC Network kind of sporadically. But kind of that main deal will be College Game Day. It feels like he will be kind of that next in line to Lee Corso. I feel like they're kind of inching Lee Corso out just kind of slowly but surely. I think they have to yeah. i mean and i love the guy it's uh, you you can see it's already begun he mm-hmm. he kind of vanishes from the show each each time they do it and um then comes back on for his picks and um i don't think anybody was too surprised with this it, it, it's a natural progression for saban and for espn i think it'll be it'll be good i i look forward to hearing his insight and i think it's a good play to have him at 
the NFL draft too. Um, I, I think that's smart. I hope that he is willing to do the job. Uh, I hope he is willing to come out and be like Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen's somebody that doesn't really hold back. Dan Mullen's like, yeah, I might burn some bridges here. Getting back into coaching might be a little bit tougher, but, hey, I'm getting paid to do this job, and I am going to give my honest opinion, and if I have to take on some people and criticize them, I'm going to. Nick Saban, of course, not in the position to have to worry about getting another job because I think he's retired. And also, he could probably say anything to anybody and still be able to get a job if he wanted one in coaching. But I hope he does the job and is willing to be critical of people and to give his actual opinion. And he's not just up there PR puff piecing and, and like being the, the leader of the good old boy club. And I don't want to criticize anybody because you know they're former colleagues and I respect everybody and blah, 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 blah. I hope he is actually willing to do the job. That was my take when he got hired. I want real, you know, maybe not unfiltered Nick Saban, but I want real Nick Saban and his real football mind to tell us what he's seeing, who could be better, criticize people, critique them. That's my big hope for that. Yeah, he's got the ability to just absolutely go in on a couple people, I feel like, with that role. And I think that's kind of what some people want to see, too. I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah, if he doesn't do that, he can just stay off TV and retire and, and enjoy his oatmeal raisin pies or whatever he yeah. eats and his Diet Coke and just sit by the lake. Like, if he's not going to actually come out and be interesting, like, I don't need Nick Saban sitting up there and just yucking it up and laughing at their jokes. Like, I'm good on that. I hope he doesn't lower himself to that level. Yeah. He wants the headgear job eventually that, of course, I'm kidding. <laughs> We should put at the headgear on, on Nick Saban. <laughs> that would not work with him at all. It'd be so weird. He likes his hair too much for yeah. that. He likes his hair too much for that. I do hope at some point Saban just looks at Lee and says, what are you talking about? Why is this guy still up here? Somebody take him home. What do you think, Bob, as a former TV exec, at the way that game day has continued to prop up Lee Corso? Because as a fan – from back in the day, you know, of course, he is a staple, if not the main attraction to that show. But the last four years, I mean, it's been it's been sad in the few moments I have seen. And, like, his gaffes and slip-ups or make everyone kind of sad. Now, I do think the finality of him just being removed from the show would also make people sad. And it's kind of nice to have him there. I think they could keep traveling around and just put the headgear on him at the very end and let that be his thing and not make him actually talk during the picks. But... How do you navigate that as a show? Because you don't want to seem like you're also just pushing an old man into retirement and early death. Or not I, early death at this point, but just retirement and death. Yeah, I think, look, he's a, a, a bit of a shell of who he has been in the past, obviously. Um, the guy is beloved not only by a fan base, but also like the folks at ESPN. I think it's hard for them to say goodbye particularly Herb Street. Now, there's a lot of people who are like us that are big, big-time big college football fans, and it's like, bless his heart, eh, but we got to move on. The, the The analogy I'll draw to it is, you know who hasn't called a college basketball game this whole season is Dick Vitale. Do you mm. miss it? No. Right? I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't miss it. And that's, that's what probably needs to – that's the hard – harsh reality of what needs to happen with Lee. I wonder how much Herb Street has in terms of a say in this, because he's very much a 
you know, he's his caretaker basically on the set and does and good on him. He does a great job of doing that. And I think he really values that friendship too. But I, I do think it's, they've got to keep slowly moving him along. I, I, I just think he's, it's, it's hard to say, but it's, it's something we all face as human beings over time, but it's, he's, he's doing it in front of a country on TV. It's hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say Kirk Herbstreit is holding his hand, both yeah. figuratively and literally at times. You yeah. know, he'll grab him and kind of help try to straighten him out. But, like, I, I pushed back a little bit on the Dick Vitale comparison just because Dick Vitale is always a part of a game. And, like, you're, you aren't there to watch the show because of Dick Vitale. You're there to watch basketball, typically. Whereas Corso at times has been the main attraction and there is no game to distract you from. Yeah. Like, you know, when, if you remove Corso, it's not the same as removing Dickie V cause you still have basketball on in the background. So like, uh, to me, I understand the comparison of course. Of, and, and the point is just, Hey, the legend's gone and yeah. time marches on. And I, to Vitell's credit, has he been as annoying or more annoying than usual? Yeah. But like, I don't know if his actual job performance has struggled much or slip much, you know, from in the last couple of years, at least not noticeably. It to me, it always feels like a greatest hit. No, album, it is. It is know? for sure. It's uh, I, I'm I'm over him, and I used to love him way back when. I, I was I thought he was a breath of fresh air, you know, but thirty years ago, yeah. you know, it's, breath of fresh air in the mid nineties, yeah, mid to late nineties, early two thousands. I mean the yeah. Um, the rock and jock, or the what is it? The jock jams, you know, him on jock jams. Yeah. It's awesome, baby, with the the stuff in the background. Like that was like the peak of it, and. Up until really, like, to me, like, college basketball in general changed once, like, Tyler Hansborough left. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the tipping point. That's when the Duke rivalry, Carolina rivalry became less interesting. That's when Vitell became really annoying. Like, 2010 is when maybe I lost my joy. Yeah. Now, the one thing, you know, the other, the, the other factor that will take all the, the personal level stuff out of this is its ratings and ESPN is losing some of their market share on game day to Fox. And if that continues, that's going to be a catalyst. It won't be because it's Lee Corso's fault, but it's like, they need to re they need to reboot that show. Basically. Well, yeah. I was going to say holding on to Corso is a part of that. I would say like, sure. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, I'd say it's, again, it's a contributor. I don't think it's the reason correct. I think some of it is that show in my opinion has jumped the shark in a lot of other ways. And, uh, that, that uh, he may just be a byproduct of them having to really change that show up entirely to continue to be competitive and be a leader. Honestly, losing Rinaldi was a big blow for that. Show oh too. yeah, Rinaldi. Rinaldi's features every week were pretty good, and, and uh, Wojciechowski too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those were my two favorite guys on Game Day. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the last couple times I've watched it, I've just and I, I don't. I'm not their target demo. I don't care about the sport as a whole enough to really be locked in on Saturday mornings for that, but. The times I have watched it, the pick segment in the last 20 minutes of the show, I just come out of it feeling bad. I just come out of it feeling sad, and it's like, man, it's, like, it's sad what they're doing a Corso. You, we talked about Saban, and I know we're, we're spending probably too much time on this, but the last observation I'll make, too, is you said, John, we don't want to just see Corso be kind of a yes guy out there. At the same time, I wonder if ESPN's looking at uh, Saban – if I said Corso, I meant Saban. But if if they're looking at Saban as their alternative to Urban Meyer, and as much as I dislike Urban Meyer, I think Urban Meyer has really good insight over at Fox. Um, that could be an interesting fit too for 
Saban, where he's not necessarily, you know, um, a provocateur at every turn, but also just gives really good insight. They don't really have that at the moment. Um, as far as like a coach who's been there and all of that, because of course it was way removed from it. Obviously, um, McAfee's a totally different person that they have on for different reasons. Yeah, I guess you have Herb Street, but I I think that ESPN's got to be watching what Fox is doing and thinking, man, we've we gotta we gotta change. Next up, Sam. Next up, uh, MLB is the next sport to follow into the Netflix documentary realm type of deal. Uh, the Boston Red Sox are going to be the next team that is being followed by Netflix. In 2024, they're going to create a Netflix documentary uh, following their their club throughout the season uh, and just kind of their a couple of their players and kind of headlining you know what it's like to, to kind of go through the grueling stretch of a 162-game season in the MLB and a little bit of those behind the scenes. Uh, and they're also going to be airing a separate documentary uh, that's going to be on the 20th anniversary of the 2004 Red Sox team that broke their 86-year World Series drought. Uh, but yeah, the Netflix is getting getting into baseball and kind of wrapping up and, and getting their fingers on all major sports, I guess. Hello, Netflix subscribers. Have you ever wanted to follow around a 78-win baseball team for 162 games? It's a very interesting team to pick. With only one player that you might even have heard of? Yeah. I, that's my question yeah. is, if you're not a Red Sox fan, why do you care? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll watch some of it because I have family that are Red Sox fans and I just will watch sports media like this because I like it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this is received. I guess if you're baseball, you got to try, but, like, why the Red Sox? Is it because you wanted to show the 20-year documentary, the 20 years later, the 04? You know, that, that, was, that team was exciting, obviously. That team, one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story in baseball the last, you know, 50 years. I was, you know, I was really roped into that one back in 2004 as a 14-year-old. But, like, was that the deal? Like, hey, we'll, we'll highlight you for a full season if you give us access to this 04 thing that people might care about? Is it just like LeBron James and the Fenway group pulling strings because they own, you know, Liverpool and some other teams as well, and maybe there's a bigger deal at play? I, I don't know. The Red Sox said they're not even making any money off of this. Yeah, I saw that. So it's just a pure marketing thing I, for them. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm just sitting there thinking again. If you think about the story, that's why then. If yeah. they if they do it with like for you know with F1 and some of these other shows, they you know they they basically glamorize things. And so there's other franchises. There's there's a great subtext with obviously the Dodgers are spending money. They have big marquee names, and they're not necessarily winning at the level they should be. I think that's interesting. You know, it's more interesting than the Red Sox trying to figure it out as a 500 team. You know, that's uh, I don't know. I but at the same time, a franchise like the Dodgers may be like, we don't want to do that unless we get money. That might be part of it. Maybe the Red Sox. That's the key thing. It's like, yeah, we're not getting any money. That's fine. It'll just be marketing. I just don't know the fact that there's not going to be any money changing hands. It just makes me think that the Red Sox are going to have a lot of say in like what's actually in on yeah. the show. Like maybe that's a part of it. Like, hey, we'll keep somewhat of uh, creative control because Netflix gave, you know, the quarterbacks in the show quarterbacks. They gave them all final say, like on their cut. Like, yeah, Kirk Cousins and Mahomes and Mariota got to kind of sign off on what was included and what wasn't included. And for me. That's not that different than what you were telling me about on the local news. What was it called? The trans, um, 
not trans, uh, the tribe, tri- 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 Trubisky, no, not, not Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky. The soccer, you know, we were talking about the pieces that run on the news that are like story slash infomercials oh, slash interstitials. Interstitials, yeah. Okay, not, I knew there was a T in there somewhere. Like, to me, those aren't that different than interstitials where it's, it's you're posing it as like a news story, but it's really a puff piece or it's like a marketing thing. And these documentaries have all kind of become that where the, like we're pretending like we're giving you the hard hitting real stuff. But really, this is all just one big commercial for our product. That's a fair observation. There's another term for that, too. It's called content marketing, too. That's a, that's yeah. a big name in like the digital space for short form things. It might just be a longer version of that. Yeah, like I've lost I've lost a lot of interest in the sports documentaries because of that. And really, like, I blame Michael Jordan. I don't know if he was the first, but, like, it was the most culturally relevant, the last dance during COVID, because that was kind of the only tie we had to sports during a time when we didn't have sports. But, like, the the five-part Michael Jordan, or ten-part, the ten-part Michael Jordan documentary where he's getting final say and not really looking like too much of a jerk unless it made him look good, actually. And then that kind of led to the Tom Brady and the Derek Jeter. And now it's like, hey, we're going to do these documentaries, but it's going to be our side. We're going to control the narrative. It's going to come out of our production team and blah, blah, blah. And now everyone does it. You know, I talked about the Netflix Johnny Manziel documentary. That's the biggest waste of my time ever. Where they're just, like, making Manziel look like a sympathetic figure (laughs) and, like, Talking about his redemption versus all the bad things he actually did. And, like, you know, (laughs) we're going to gloss over it. Yeah, maybe beat his girlfriend up. Maybe there was that drunken road rage incident where he, they, you know, she she accused him of really like beating her up. Maybe maybe we're gonna like gloss over that part to get back to him living at home with his dad and sister and like his redemption arc. Yeah, you know, he felt in Cleveland just because hey, he didn't try hard enough. He was bored of the NFL. He missed college. That's kind of they painted it in there like yeah, hey, you know, he kind of missed A and M. Yeah, I don't really have much use for those. So. I will not watch a second of the Red Sox documentary. I, I might watch the 2004 one, though. Yeah. Maybe. The 2004 one seems a lot more interesting. I agree. <clears throat> uh, wrapping it up here, uh, Tiger Woods has made made it official. He's making his 2024 season debut at the Genesis Invitational, uh, the tournament he hosts. Said, uh, you know, he's excited to, to be a playing host in the tournament. It's his first field event that he'll play in since the 2023 Masters. Um Back in November, he you know announced that his plan was that he was going to try to start and play one tournament per month, starting with the Genesis in 2024. So this one will be telling to kind of see how Tiger's doing health wise, how he can walk, and you know how his leg is holding up. Obviously, had that that ankle surgery, and that's kind of been the the latest news in terms of his surgeries and stuff like that. Genesis is a it's a tough course to walk. It's a it's a hilly place, and there's a couple a couple kind of holes that are going to test his physical ability. So I think this will be a good, a good kind of baseline to see where Tiger's at physically. Yeah. I mean, the car wreck at one point we thought was going to kill him. I remember thinking that whenever the first, the news first came out and you saw the car and you heard it, you're like, Oh my God, he might die. Then you're like, okay, he might never walk again. And then it's like, okay, he might never play competitive golf again. So like, it's crazy to hear you say, yeah, the concern is just whether or not he can walk the course, his course, his event. But, I mean, when you think about the journey, it is kind of remarkable that he's able to go out there and play competitive golf again. Has he said any idea what his uh, event would be in March? Um, no, I would guess that maybe it would probably be the players. 
as he said, what his event will be in April. That would just be the Masters. No, I know. I just didn't know if he would like. Has he confirmed that he's going to try to play the Masters? I mean, has he even mentioned that word yet? Has that been asked? Is it? No, but I, I'm I'm sure that's kind of his ramp up. You know, I'm sure those majors are the top priority on his checklist, and any tournament that he can kind of feel good enough physically after that is just kind of house money. I think. So you think he would play it if he knew like he had no chance of winning and like was just out there like and his goal was just to finish? Yeah. I think he's that just, just psycho competitive. You know, I think he has that mentality where it's like if I'm healthy enough to play it, I think I can win it at any point. Yes, yeah, I, I don't know. He's just still got that in his head. I don't think he can do it really, but I, I think he's just got that I don't kind know. of mental. I'll, I almost go the opposite of thinking like he would know, like be self aware enough to be like, I ain't got it, and I'm not going to go out there and 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 disgrace myself on the, a place where I've had you know so many Maybe. good memories and stuff, and like if. I'm a shell of myself, and I'm not ready for that. And it, 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 I don't want all those eyes on me and watching me struggle. What tournament did he withdraw from last year where it was just like he was – It was know, the Masters. That's what he, I thought. he made the cut and then, you know, was so far back from it, and he had that stuff acting up with yeah. his foot and for stuff. For the fourth he was day. Like, I'm just he cost gonna... me a lot of money last year. I bet on him yeah. to miss the cut, and somehow he made the damn cut and then withdrew. Never yeah. bet on him to miss the cut at the Masters. He's yeah. never – He missed didn't bro- it couldn't barely walk. He's never missed the cut at the Masters. Well, I know the first round I looked – I felt pretty good about it. I was like, okay, it was close. He barely made the cut. Never I want to say it. like I want to say like birdied seventeen to like make I think the cut. He have a decent decent Friday. To, <laughs> yeah. I had a two I had a two team parlay with Bryson to miss the cut and Tiger to miss the cut and Bryson imploded and he missed it and yeah Tiger somehow pulled out a couple birdies and then withdrew. Mm-hmm. That stupid jerk. All he did was make the cut and then like, okay I'm going home now. See ya. I think he broke the record of most consecutive cuts made last year, so I think he just got that record and was like, ah, I'm not feeling too good. I'll just I'll dip out of here after two rounds. I've ruined John's weekend. Yeah. Time for me to go home. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Well, I hope he plays this time. I'm betting him to miss the cut this time, too. February 15th, John. you got to get your bet in by then. No, no, no. I'm talking about for, oh, for the Masters. Yeah, okay. for the Masters. Okay. Although we'll be curious to see what the odds are of him making the cut this time because you can they always boost the tiger because the people like betting on tiger. Uh-huh. That's what I was thinking. I was like, you get better him. value from. Well, I know. I was like, I'll fade. Sure. It was like plus one fifty or something for him to cut. And I was like, he's yeah. got a broken leg. He might not even be able to finish. And did just enough to get over that damn finish line, then quit. Yep. Then quit. All right. Good batch of headlines. We're gonna catch us up on some things we might have missed from the night before. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Nick Saban to ESPN. It was funny. I saw a, a callback to a message board post from the middle of December. I don't know if you guys saw that. Where somebody, I believe on a Georgia message board, was like, Saban retiring confirmed. I have good authority. He has signed a, I think it was like a $15 million deal. Pretty penny. To work for ESPN. And had that like back in the middle of December. Like, trust me, it's done. He is retiring after the playoff. And he's going to be working for ESPN. And everyone kind of laughed at him. And then... That is exactly how it played out. Now, maybe that's just a lucky guess because that's a that's a dot you could easily connect, right? Like Saban retires, and if he retires, of course, he's going to do TV, and they're not going to maybe release the actual amount of money he's making, but $15 million would be a pretty good guess. So ESPN lands a big fish. ESPN is going to be in pole position for you know college football programming with the playoff and everything. They're gearing up to launch their own streaming service. Uh, I wonder if there's going to be anything interesting they can do there whenever they're kind of doing their own stuff and how many options they can maybe run out. And maybe you could get a 
Nick Saban coaches show during the national championship or blah, blah, blah. But, Bob, we had another day to kind of soak in and think about the super streaming service. You said you got some takes on it you want to get off your chest. Yeah, I think that we talked about it yesterday, and I think the way the industry in general and fans in general were reacting to it, it initially was like, whoa, this is a big deal. It's a game changer, and it, it could be. That still hasn't changed, but I think now that it's marinated a little bit, I think that uh, there, there's still some questions. You know, I, I think the truth is that um, – it may be considered at first blush like a boon for a sports fan, but um, there's so many things behind the scenes that would still have to happen. Not to mention, and we did talk about this yesterday, that uh, between Paramount slash CBS and Comcast slash NBC, um, and then also the tech companies that have some sports rights now too, um, live sports rights between Amazon and Apple, they're not involved in this, so there's still a huge chunk of this that is still not available to this uh, super team that they're creating with uh, with ESPN, Fox, and and Warner Brothers Discovery slash TNT. There's a lot that has to happen for something that's going to be introduced in the fall. You know, it's going to be app based. Who's going to build that app? Wait, wait, wait. They said this is going to be out in the fall. Oh yeah, fall of twenty four. Okay, that's what they've talked about. I find that incredibly ambitious, to be honest with you just from the standpoint of having to build a unique product and all those things. Also, who's going to run it? They, you know, There's that whole notion that there's big-time CEOs at all of these companies, Iger, Zaslav, Lachlan Murdoch, but they've got to appoint somebody that will head up the entity in general and who, you know, who's going to have the biggest say in that. And then you know, it, the pricing has come back out. It's shaken down a little more. We were talking 50 to 60 yesterday. Now they're saying it might be more 40 to 50. But there's this whole argument, again, I was thinking about it last night as a YouTube TV customer, I get all this there, you know, and it's not that much more money to spend. To, you know, if you look at their base package where you get all the sports, it's 65 a month, plus you get all these other channels. So why would you change that? And, and YouTube TV, this isn't a PSA for them or commercial for them, but it's portable. You can watch it on your phone, your iPad. So it's, it's, it's essentially an app. Yeah, I was wondering if they were going to I, – I guess I assume, Bob, that they were going to have exclusive content on this app that wouldn't be available on on, on YouTube TV. So that is that not the case? No, that's – well, then that'll spin into the ESPN conversation here in a second. But the, no, that's, that's just the rights to the live events, and those deals are already preordained, at least in the current state. Now, sure. that, that may change when they're renegotiating the NBA contract, for example. There might be some carve-outs there. But no, at the moment – for, for what they're going to launch in the fall, no, there won't be any exclusivity at all. It's just, again, they're trying to reach out to people who are going to be what they call cord nevers, people that don't really want to have cable. You know, it's a younger demographic. It's the Sams of the world and people like that. So, um, so I think that that's really kind of interesting. Now, jumping over to ESPN real quick. Not coincidentally, yesterday, Bob Iger comes back out and says, hey, just raising my hand here, ESPN – the streaming app is coming, and it's going to be, I think they're talking about the fall of 25 for that. They want to get it out probably in August of 25. And so that's down the line. But that is, the promise there is it's going to be an amped up version of what we've seen with ESPN Plus already, which is all sorts of other content. And so to your point, John, like a Nick Saban coaches show and things like that, that's, that's the stuff that's not going to be part of this 
three-team or three-network package that's coming in 24. That's, as I understand it, that's, for the moment, that's going to be live events, and that's about it. Has ESPN Plus lived up to what they envisioned for it? Has it been an, has it been a success? I know that might be a hard question. I know that's a that's a something hard, I guess, to kind of put in perspective of success or right. not. But like you know, I, I kind of thought when it launched, it was going to completely revolutionize sports, and so far. ESPN Plus, it's made it accessible to watch, you know, other games. Like, you're, if you're a fan of a niche sport, you're able to get that. But as, as far as, like, the big games go, they're all still on regular TV. Yeah. So has, has it been a success? It's a good question. I, I think it's probably been a success to try to create as much we own the sports piece better than anyone. I think that part has been good, and they've done some great originals, you know, Peyton's Place and some other things. But the thing we've talked about is from a from a user interface perspective, a consumer perspective, it's still hard as hell sometimes to get it to where you're watching what you want to watch, at least from my perspective, because they hit you up incessantly with logins and I all this it. other yeah. stuff, right? No, I hate that about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think from that standpoint... I can't speak to, you know, there was a pretty early adoption of it when it first came out. I just don't know at this point if it's, um, if they would consider it a rousing success or not. It, it makes me wonder because, again, they're trying to do kind of a, a reiteration of it now in a different version in 2025. Let's go to the phone lines. Jordan wants to weigh in on this ESPN topic. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Hope Good, you're man. well. Hey, Bob, I have a quick question on the ESPN thing that you guys are currently talking about. Um, I had brought this up on overtime um, back there in the summertime when um, Oregon and Washington went to the Big Ten. I looked this up. My numbers may be off. You may be able to correct me on this. But it looks like through regular cable, the ESPN has about 73 million subscribers in the United States through regular cable. And obviously, that's been yeah. kind of trending down over the years. Correct. Um, you said on the show the other day that it's, that's about $15. Uh, is what these cable providers charge a regular customer to have ESPN. Um, would it benefit ESPN? Because you're talking about like the YouTube TV. I have YouTube TV also. And that it's preferable for us just to stay with YouTube TV instead of doing this. But wouldn't it benefit ESPN if they're going to do this app and charge 40 to $50 to take their channels off of all those platforms and force everyone who wants ESPN to have to go to this app because you're going to even if let's say you cut that 73 million in half but now you're charging 40 to 50 dollars per person you're almost going to either match or come close to doubling your money if only half the people subscribe straight to this app instead of having been through cable no, I think that's that's really good logic, Jordan, and I would say that that is their goal. The problem is what happens with all these network groups, whether it's for scripted TV or live sports events like the ones we're talking about with ESPN, they always want to take that burden to hand, and that's traditional linear rights, and what they've granted to distributors are usually longer-term deals, and so because they, you know, so ESPN or slash Disney, they want that money. And so what they're trying to do is have it both ways. They want to try to migrate to a future where 
it's all about streaming and you know but they're not entirely sure what that looks like i don't think anybody does there's definitely a you know there's definitely a trend heading towards that the cable universe is shrinking like you said um but the the whole notion of them going exclusively streaming i think they're building towards that but they they aren't they aren't going to be able to contractually for a handful of more years that's just not going to happen well that raises my question in terms of, yeah, ESPN's bottom line, like Jordan points out, if you're making $40 from $35 million, that's more than making 15 from 70 But would the leagues have any say in this? Because if I was a league, I want to reach as many people as possible. You know, yeah. I, you give us money, that's cool, but like it still comes down to exposure and growing the health of our league and having as many eyeballs as possible on that. Because that's something you know, I consider from the WWE perspective, going off of linear TV and going to Netflix. But... As we pointed out, Netflix has more subscribers, so with WWE, it's actually reaching more people by being directly on Netflix whenever Raw goes there. But this ESPN app is going to be a little bit different, especially getting off the ground at that price point. Right. And the other part we haven't even touched on, and that's a good segue to that, is you know, ESPN, Iger talked about it again yesterday. They are still out there actively looking for partners to help them create, subsidize this streaming product, because building that product is going to be prohibitively expensive if it's going to have all the bells and whistles and functionality that they say it's going to. And so the, it's been well chronicled. One of the active conversations they're having is with the NFL to be an investor. So to your point, they're going to have a say if you know they own part of it at some point. They're going to have a really significant say. Well, there's also talk about the NBA wanting to be part owners of like ESPN too, right? Wasn't there yeah. talks about that as well? You know, yeah. kind of being a, actually having skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Same stake. thing. Yeah. Same thing. So it's uh, so yeah. Back to Jordan's question though. It's that is absolutely the end game. They just it's it's fraught with challenges right now. They just can't get there quick enough. And I don't even know what quick enough means for them, really, at this point, because there's so much that's still to be determined in what consumer um, trends will be three to four to five years down the line. You can imagine it's going to be towards more streaming, but what does that mean? Do they still keep a toe in the water with what they call linear television, which is, again, the you know the Comcast, the Charters, all those types of things. That's that's the part that's still to be uh, de- to be determined. It's 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 pr- it's a big mess right now. I mean, there's a lot of disruption everywhere, and uh, these guys are trying to figure it out, and and nobody's got any clear cut answers yet. Jordan, you got anything and, else? You know, oh, good. I was just going to say, just with what Bob said, you know, about the YouTube TV thing. I mean, I agree with him. I mean, it's the the app sounds great by adding all these channels to one streaming service as a sports fan. I mean, it sounds great to me because, I mean, I have YouTube TV because it was pretty much the only platform that I could find outside of cable that had 90 to 95% of the sports channels that I watch. And that's why I do it. Why would I want to, you know, cut the cord with YouTube TV to pay 40 to $50 to ESPN when I don't have CBS? I don't have NBC, Correct. which, you know, has other sports on there that I'm going to want to watch. I mean, CBS and NBC, they're going to have a lot of the Big Ten going forward. And, you know, I love to watch college football, so we wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to watch that. I would just rather pay the extra, as Bob said, 10 to $15 a month to have YouTube TV to stick with that and have all the choices that I want. So that's, like you said, Bob, I think it's a great point. They're going to have to figure out, you know, that price point because, to me, it sounds great on theory, but it's not enticing enough for me to want to cut what I have to jump to them knowing I won't be able to watch everything that I want to watch as a sports fan. 
Appreciate the call, Jordan. Appreciate the work you do on X and helping us out with some statistics. Thank you, Jordan. Have a good day, sir. Have a good day, guys. Yeah, I mean, if it's just a $15 difference between not having to set up your antenna and change it over and being able to throw in some rerun episodes of, like, The Office or Seinfeld or throw in a couple different TV shows and have that option – probably going to stick there instead of doing the super sports yeah, if there's nothing exclusive there the last thing i'll say that there's this is this is going to be there's going to be some casualties of war too and what i mean by that is there's a service called fubo and i actually uh, know the guy who started fubo because he's, he used to work with him and he's really made some headway in the marketplace and if you have any familiarity with fubo they've been touting that they have just as good a sports offering as maybe a youtube tv or someone else well, they're now saying, based on the off the heels of this latest announcement, they're they're like, this could be a kill shot for us. Uh, it could put us out of business, and it's it's a problem, and it's a regulatory problem. And you know, he's putting a lot of pleas out there, and it's really interesting because again, they're more of an independent. YouTube TV has Google backing them. I mean, it's obviously you know, there's. They're they're well healed, and so what's going to happen in this too? It's it's already happening. We talked about this too. There's going to be there's going to be networks or in this case distributors that are going to fall off the map. They're just going to get put out of business with these types of things happening. So, it is it is a crazy crazy time in that industry. And then when you look at like the Bally Sports slash Fox Sports South. Fox Sports, whatever, channels regionally getting bought by, like, Amazon. That adds another layer. And, Absolutely. Uh, and you're going to have to pay your money to watch your local team. It, it's To me, it's surprising just because you had a little bit of what I thought might be a trend, and I guess not. Maybe you have to be super rich to be willing to do this. But, like, this summer you had a couple teams be like, you know what? We're taking our team and we're putting them on free TV. I guess what the Phoenix Suns did. Matt Ispio was like, hey, I'm rich. I don't need this extra couple million dollars from this local Fox Sports channel or Bally Sports that's not going to work, Sun TV or whatever it's called. We're going to just put it on local TV because we think the more eyeballs we get in front of our, our product in front of, the more people we can reach that are going to come spend money at our games and buy tickets and support and help us, you know, I guess have a home court advantage and a, a big fan base that's going to buy merchandise and, and root us on. I thought maybe that might start a trend of the super rich owners being like, hey, here's more accessible things, more accessible things. It is happening. It is happening in right. certain markets. So, but then yeah. but now you have on the flip side, now it's becoming more exclusive and more yeah. expensive. And, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. It's it's hard to figure out what's the right path forward. There's so much activity and so much movement right now going on, and everybody's trying to get a piece of it. So, I mean, if you're Ispia and you're the, the Suns owner, and I know it happened in a couple other markets, but th those teams are kind of slipping my mind. But, like, yeah, it's easy to justify. Be like, hey, look, the NFL does it. Yeah. You don't have to pay for the NFL games during the week. And quite honestly, you don't have to pay for the NFL games ever, right? Because if for your team, if you're in the market, right? Because contractually, the games that are on Amazon on Thursday still have to be carried locally, right, on yeah. the TV. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, in the home market, yes. Yeah, so, like, the NFL's not charging you to watch your team. It's kind of weird that the NBA is like, yeah, put us on cable, now you got to pay for us. Just from a business perspective, like to say, like, hey, if the, if the biggest sport in the world, or the biggest sport at least in America, doesn't charge, where do we get off doing that? 
Is it not better to just have many to make our sport as accessible as possible to our fans? Don't you get a discounted rate with uh, Sunday Ticket on YouTube TV as well? Like, I feel like that might be a little bit I of a I think it's draw. the only place that lets you watch Sunday Ticket these days, right? Don't I they think have you the can buy it rights? separately. You can buy it separately on, okay. you, on YouTube, yeah. actually. Not YouTube TV. You can buy it separately as a YouTube product. Okay. I yeah. feel like that will be a draw for keep like some YouTube TV customers just staying with YouTube TV. It's discounted, but to, but not a lot. Not it's, a ton. Yeah, well, they had a really big discount when they were introducing it to YouTube uh-huh. TV, and okay. now there's still there's still some discount if you you know pay up front early buy the whole package. But yeah, it's still expensive. Sam sent us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Welcome back to the morning show. Uh, one of our funnest segments of the week. And it's even better when we're coming off of a win. Uh, we get to spend some time with uh, Vols assistant coach Greg Polinski. Talk a little bit about last night's game against LSU. Coach, good morning. Welcome back. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Good morning. Hey, so I think back to our call last week with you, and it was uh, – it was probably a, it was definitely a different vibe in the studio for us, and I think I, I asked you about a little bit of a wellness check. You know, how's how are the guys doing off the heels of that South Carolina game? By the way, we've seen South Carolina just continue to uh, flourish in the league, and uh, you you nailed it. That's a that's a that's a hell of a team there. But would you know just love to get your take on how it's feeling right now? Offense is clicking, obviously, in these last two games. Uh, saw you know the team is averaging about 80 points a game this season, uh, which, again, very different, as you mentioned last week, to what we've seen in years past. How are the boys feeling right now? Well, I think, like you know, we talked about, we've, we've got a pretty mature group. I think they understand um, you know, that there are things we can still get a lot better at. You know, Coach talks about that all the time. We don't want to be satisfied. You know, we don't want to get comfortable. We want to be confident, but we won't, still want to play with an edge. I thought first half um, last night, you know, we did that um, minus the backboard. I thought for us that was probably one of our uh, poorer performances in terms of, you know, defensive rebounding last night. I don't know if it was a combination of us shooting it well, getting a little complacent, you know, on the court, um, you know, getting out to a large lead thought we defended pretty well. It's just securing the rebound, which we all know that is that is the final part. That is the end of a possession with defense. Um, so I think, you know, I think the guys are feeling good about, again, mature group, about what they did offensively, the ball movement, getting up the court, playing with speed, uh, making shots is always a lot of fun for us and fans. And by the way, how great was it to see the place full again last night? Amazing fans here. Um, but it was, um, I think that was a part we got to clean up. Bob. You know, our our defensive rebounding has, has got to get better. It has at times this year, but we realize in order to not just win games, but to compete for a championship, you got to take care of that compartment of the game or that area of the game. Yeah, last night I couldn't help but think, of you and the coaching staff, and I kind of thought that it might be the perfect type of performance from a coaching perspective where the first half, really crisp. You know, you continue rolling after the Kentucky game, the offense as good as ever, 
and then just enough mistakes and just enough complacency in the second half to kind of have some things to coach up. What's the message coming out of a game like that for the coaches? Well, we're getting ready to go to College Station against a team that is, you know, preseason. Lost the key player in Julius Marble, but brings back um, what was arguably you know, as dynamic and good a backcourt uh, as there was in the league. Wade Taylor, I'm not sure if he was preseason player of the year in our league, but certainly could have been. You know, really dynamic scoring uh, point guard for A&M. Had a terrific season last year. Is playing well again this year. Um, so they bring back a lot of experience, and they happen to be the number one offensive rebounding team in the SEC and in the country. So if we don't clean this up quick, and I think it's more of a mentality than it is actually physical technique, et cetera, you know, rebounding to a large degree is, is not a lot about talent. It's a lot about level of concentration, commitment, and effort. And those are things that we understand, our group knows. Um, but we're getting ready to go into, you know, a buzzsaw down there. They'll be sold out, I'm sure. Like everybody, we've become a big game on their schedule, and it's a compliment to our players. Um, but we've got – that's the message. It's short and simple. If, if we don't take care of the backboard, you can forget everything else because they're that good at rebounding the ball once they miss it. Yeah, you came off of Saturday's performance, which Josiah, you know, clicked, and that was the Josiah against North Carolina State that ever that you had said, you know, won the game against the Wolfpack. What happened on Saturday for Josiah to just be more aggressive? Was there a concerted effort, or was it just, hey, he hit a couple shots early and kept that momentum rolling, or just the kind of what the Kentucky defense gave as they were given so much attention to connect and other players? What what changed for Josiah in that performance? You know, I would say like with a guy like Josiah, who's incredibly bright as a person and basketball player, he would, I wish he was on the phone, you know, he would give you a very articulate and uh, well thought out, honest answer about, you know, what happened, what, what his mindset was. My message, you know, I don't say a lot to Josiah. He's been here. Um, same with Santi. You know, they already know usually before you say something to them, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. But was, hey, man, like, hey, shoot the ball with confidence. You're a really good shooter. I really don't care what his numbers have been. When when Joe shoots it in rhythm and has his feet set, and he's a really good shooter. But I thought what, what Coach talks a lot about him, you know, when you get lost in the game and you do the effort things, if you guys remember Josiah early in the game on the offensive glass there, he was pretty relentless. He got us extra possessions, great effort getting to the backboard. Um, and then it just seemed to flow. You know, I think second possession, you know, we ran a little, you know, toss back and he was wide open. And I mean, he was ready to shoot it. There wasn't a bit of hesitation. Feet under him, great rhythm shot. Um, and then I think from there as a player, you know, when you're feeling it. And Joe was definitely feeling it. And, uh, you know, obviously, we could go through a number of guys, but Joe would be one of them. That if he doesn't impact the game like he did, we don't come out of rut with a win. Let's talk a little bit about Zakai because you have an extensive NBA background. You were, you know, you you coached in the league. You were a player uh, analyst for a long time. 
when I see Zakai Ziegler playing right now, I think he's doing his best Chris Paul impression. The last two games, 22 assists and only five turnovers, you know, while also scoring at a very efficient clip. What are you seeing from Zakai? Well, I think he's, you know, South Carolina was a struggle um, the way they played. And uh, defensively, they were excellent. Um, so I think Z kind of regrouped mentally. Uh, he talked with Coach, what he's got to do in those situations. Kentucky is a totally different game because of the pace and rhythm of that game. Um, same, I'd say, with LSU. All games present a different personality. And that certainly, uh, South Carolina was different. So Z bounced back, I guess is what I'm saying here. And um, the games, I think, coming up were good games for him because it allowed him to get up the court, play with some rhythm. It wasn't slow. He's best when there's some pace to the game. Um, and he took advantage, I think, of both nights here and played extremely well. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd... Say Chris Paul, uh, Chris Paul is. If Zeke can do it as long as Chris Paul's done it, then we're going to say it. But uh, he's been great. He just seems, good, he seems great. so in control right now. You know, that's the way Chris yeah. Paul. Whenever he plays, whenever he has it going, he's just in control of everything. And that's that's just what I was thinking whenever I'm watching Zakai right now. Yeah, I mean, he's just. I don't want to use the word dominating games, but let's just say he's he's been a dominant player at his position. And when he's really good uh, and we're making shots, we're really good on offense. And then go to the defensive end, and he, he's a terror. You know, I've said many times, I think we got four guys that could be all first-team SEC players, Zakai obviously being one of them. Um, but what he does defensively for us is tremendous pressure, steals, Gets us going. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, these last two games, he's been a very dominant force. We're here with uh, Greg Polinski, assistant coach for the UT men's basketball team. Hey, coach, the, I want to talk for a second about one of our uh, first-year transfer players that's not Dalton, by the way, and it's Jordan Ganey because what I've seen in the last couple of games – has been impressive, and we obviously know Jordan's getting his stroke back from a shooting perspective, and that's wonderful. But I think of the Kentucky game the other night where he grabbed a, an offensive rebound that was a grown man rebound. I mean, it, for a guard, it, it just impressed me to no end. And then last night, you know, playing 25 minutes, getting 18 points, that's wonderful, but three steals – and I, I know it feels to me there's obviously a concerted effort from his perspective to to do more of the little things that really, really matter in a game. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? That's got to be part of the plan with you and Coach Barnes, right? Yeah, I think, um, number one, extremely proud of Jordan because we all remember he had a rough start right. uh, to conference. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys with, with less substance – less basketball character could give into that. Younger players sometimes give into it. Um, not Jordan Ganey. He's, he's a unbelievable young man, great family. Um, and I say all that to say that you can see where it comes from. I happen to work with the associate head coach every day. Right. Um, 
And Jordan is, you know, uh, kind of, you know, replicated, I think, who he is off the court to on the court, high-character guy, very resilient. That's a great trait to have. I think he's put work in. If you come in after practice, he's shooting every single day. Um, he's added downhill, getting to the rim to his game, so you can't just sit on his jump shot. And most importantly, he's embraced the defensive aspect of what we do. You know, I thought last night he was terrific defensively. Um, on the ball, had three steals. He and Zakai, I think, were our leaders in that area with three each. Um, I just can't say enough about him. And then to get 18 force off the bench, he accepts his role. Whether he plays 10 minutes or 30 minutes, um, you're going to get his best effort. Whether the ball goes down that night, who knows? Shooters have nights. Shooters don't have nights. Uh, but he's become more than that. And I think, like Coach said, you know, and what, what I knew, again, my last stop, how do you impact winning when you're not making shots, you're not scoring, and he's figured that out and he's doing it for us? I got to ask. I asked you about the refs last week. This week I want to know, can you put us in the team huddle after the Awaka and Bradshaw dust-up at Kentucky? Because on TV, it got me fired up in my living room. I saw Coach Barnes give Awaka a high five. Can you put us right there on that sideline for that brief moment? Well, I'm not sure I can put you right there. All I saw was Tobey's eyes get dilated. That's not a good thing for anybody. Um, Meaning, you know, it takes a lot. Tobey's a very, believe it or not, he's a very gentle soul, very mild, very composed. Those eyes um, tell a different story. <laughs> they did, man. You you know that old expression, you don't poke the bear. Um, you don't poke Tobey. And I think that's what happened up there, and it just got him fired up. I'm, I'm glad that he had enough emotional control, um, you know, that he didn't take it any further. And... uh because that, that could have been a real tough scene, right? Um, I wouldn't want to be the one that deals with him at all. At all. Uh, you know, the guys that wolf a lot, you know, my dad used to say those are the guys that don't worry about. The guys that are quiet and go about their business, when you get them fired up, look out. And that's Tobey. And um, I think what it did, though, is Coach was, you know, just happy to see the fire in Tobey. Obviously, Coach wouldn't want any kind of altercation. You know, when it got when it, if it would lead to a, a physical altercation. But I think it was good to see Tobey get fired up. I think it ignited our team. Our guys have a lot of respect for Tobey. They know how hard he plays. Probably leads or is one of the leaders if he had enough minutes. Um, offensive rebounding in the country. And then I think he just went to work, right, after that. So they, they I think the guys kind of knew when we went into the huddle. Um, it was kind of like us against, what, 20,000-plus and uh, we're going to finish this job, and I think that was kind of the most exhilarating part for all of us, you know, coming out of that huddle. Yeah, the way Awaka responded to that with one of the best dunks in a game that, that caught me by surprise on the pick and roll, and then he had another great little quick post move and had a couple good seals for Zakai to clear the lane. I thought Awaka really responded in a controlled manner and, you know, you were worried at the time that that might spark a run, that Kentucky would get emotional, and that the crowd would, you know, kind of will them back. But Connect gets the dunk out of the uh, out of bounds play, and and then Awaka has a couple big buckets, and you kind of put Kentucky to sleep. 
What about the reaction in the film room the next day in the film session? Whenever you see Bradshaw get uh, cheek to cheek, maybe lip to lip against a walkout, how do the how do the players respond, knowing that they kind of, for lack of a better term, kick Kentucky's ass down the stretch after that play? Well, I think our guys. Um, number one, I think there was a big smile. You know, like, and it's because they love Tobey. You know, like. They mess with them a lot, particularly Zakai. They played AU together, New York guys, and you know Zakai likes to mess with them all the time, um, which is kind of funny to see. Not Zakai; he definitely doesn't seem like an instigator. Sometimes he was walking no. around pumping up the crowd as it was going on. <laughs> no, not not him. Yeah, I know Z's got a lot of spunk, as we all know, and is an amazing guy himself. But um, I think that was you know the guys actually seeing it. It kind of made you know led to a chuckle because they know, like, hey, that's the wrong guy to push. You know, like, they see him in practice every day, um, you know, on the backboard. Some days it's hard. He's like a one-man wrecking crew going to get it, you know. So I think, you know, we got through that. I think guys knew the impact that Tobey made on the game. Um, And we also realized, you know, we're going to have Kentucky again. We realized we played extremely well, and Kentucky played extremely well. That one is behind us. But, um, hey, we, we realized we got another job to do later in the year. Hey, Coach. Um, just curious. I know that Coach Clark has talked a lot about Dalton and Jemai's one-on-one battles going back to his recruiting visit. I'm just wondering, do you think you have a, a maybe a lifetime series record kind of between those two? And then also <laughs> just speak kind of on how beneficial that matchup is, you know, having – you know, maybe one of the best scores in the country on one of the best uh, perimeter defenders in the country as well in Jemai. Yeah, and um, you know, my eyes told me, you know, when I first got here, and it just continues to grow. I've said it before. I think Jemai Meshek is the best defender in the country. Um, Zakai's terrific. Josiah's really good. Santi's really good. Jonas at the rim. But what Jemai can do is versatility, makes him special in his strength. Um, and analytics will back it up. But I think it's been great for Dalton, you know, and, and then Dalton's been great for for Jemai because it keeps him sharp, man. Like, uh, we all know Dalton's got an opportunity. I know how difficult it is, but he's got an opportunity to play after this at the next level in the NBA. It's there if he'll clean up a few things, and he's working hard to do that and get better defensively all the time. Rebounded the ball better last night, so – we're encouraged by that, but but back to your comment, you know, I think those two, you know, the old comment, iron sharpens iron, I think that's really the case there. They both have both taken it to heart. They both want to be great. Jemai's improved offensively and wants to get better there. Dalton knows he's got to be a better defender, but offensively, for he's going to see guys like Jemai uh, every night, and I think it's been tremendously beneficial, and I think they have a great deal of respect for each other, and you know, Jemai, he's always trying to help guys. We have a number of older guys like that, which makes this team pretty special and it made Rick Barnes' team and culture here very different than a lot of places. So I think they've been great for each other. You got a, you got a record, though? I didn't hear a record there. You kind of sidestepped that question. No, <laughs> I have no record on that. Uh, we keep a lot of stuff, but we don't keep records on the one-to-one bad light. Hey, you get those two guys on the – on the radio, that'd be pretty interesting to hear, and I'll listen in. <laughs> Last thing uh, we'd kind of joked about, you know, sometimes when these players seem a little passive and a little hesitant to shoot, I, I know some fans were frustrated with Vescovy. 
maybe let freshman Cam Carr hype those guys up because he is somebody that comes in with a lot of aggression and a lot of confidence. So maybe let the young guys rub off on some of the older ones from time to time. Yeah, I mean, I, our young guys, like I told you, I'm very encouraged by all four guys. Um, I know they don't get a lot of minutes. It's difficult to do when you have a veteran team and guys that have won a lot of games and understand what winning means. But Cam and and uh, Kate Phillips and J.P. Estralo, you're seeing a little bit. Freddie Dillion is a talented guy. All these guys are still finding their way. And um, it's going to click, and Coach says it all the time to them. We need you to keep improving because at some point we're going to need you um, yeah, this year. This yeah, year. I mean, Carr and, was a great uh, play at Kentucky with that alley-oop. I mean, that was impactful in a couple of rim uh, contentions and, and, you know, led to some missed layups. I thought he was great in his limited minutes there. Coach Polinski, appreciate your time as always. Best of luck this weekend at Texas A&M. Come back with a win. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys, as always. Enjoy it. Yeah, man. I think it's interesting, too. This is a good segue because we just talked about that one-on-one thing with uh, with Dalton and Jemai. Um, we, and we mentioned it yesterday. Uh, quick quick recommendation. If you haven't read it yet, go to RockyTopInsider.com. Check out Ryan Shumpert's piece on the Dalton Connect Jemai Meshack one-on-one experience, how it began, etc. And one of the things I think that you're going to find, because we've talked about this before, um, you know, the North Carolina game, there was discord in the locker room and all this other stuff, and the fan base tends to blow that up. I think that that's natural occurrences that happen in families, if you will, and that's water finding its level, too. And you'll see it in this in this story, this piece that Ryan wrote. Quotes from Santi, quotes from Zakai, quotes from Jemai, of course, about how – what my takeaway was was obviously it's entertaining to hear about the – the iron sharpens iron piece that Coach Polinsky just talked about, but also that this team is aligned, man. Do not mistake that. They, they're going to have their moments where there's some, you know, a little bit of tension, of course, but that's what happens for a team that's driven by winning and wants to get better. That is going to happen, and I that was one of my biggest takeaways. Ryan did a really good job of framing all of it. If you haven't read it, I recommend you check it out. It's a It's a great, pretty short read. It'll be worth your time. And, of course, supports our friend Ryan Shumpert, who is gracious with his time every Monday. He's good at what he does, and I enjoyed reading the piece. Sorry, Sam, I tried to to pin Coach down there and get get an answer to your question, but he he hit the pump fake sidestep that Santiago Vescovi is so good at. I figured Dalton and Jemai would each probably say that they're both winning the lifetime battle. I actually wasn't surprised by them saying they don't really keep score. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I know that – you can say you don't keep score, but everybody keeps score. But like it's it's probably more so like Mayshack's defense against Connect's offense. It might not be like a traditional game all the time. More so just like can you score on me? Kind of going back to what we talked about the All Star game. We want to see like the dunkers try to dunk on the shot blockers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Mayshack's a stopper out there. It's like a, a PK, if you will. He's the goalie. Can you get a bucket on me? So they might not be playing traditional games. You think uh you think I shouldn't have said the Bradshaw lip to lip thing? About <laughs> Bradshaw kissing it. <laughs> yeah, kinda sidestepped that one too. Yeah. But it's they got the team fired up. Yeah. 
I loved boy he he said what we all think about Tobey though like you don't want to be that guy no to, and then go go and, at him and he's exactly correct in terms of the guys that uh, maybe don't do the talking yeah the lens when actually whenever you actually get a an even tempered person very angry when the quiet person gets loud that's when you're like okay maybe I've gone a little too far that's right that's and, right you know the 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 cliche of the small dog that yaps versus the big dog that sits there just kind of waiting. Very true. Plays out in life. That happened one time in my household. In college, I lived with a pit bull that was young, but full grown, but young, immature. And I have a miniature wiener dog. And the miniature wiener dog was the aggressive one in the relationship a lot of the times. And until one time, a piece of meat fell in between them, and that pit bull grabbed Frank by the neck and slung him up against the wall. I was like, that's mine. And really? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what a waka. Uh, he kind of snapped in there when they got shoved in the back. That piece of meat <laughs> fell between them, and he kind of snapped, and you saw, okay, this is what he's capable of. And Life lesson for Frank. Though. Yeah, Frank uh, hid behind the couch and learned a lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. We'll wrap the show up on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.